Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Saviour. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Well, friends, we uh, begin this evening a new series uh, on this uh, short letter of Paul to Titus. And uh, it's, as you know, I'm sure, it's one of the three pastoral epistles, uh, letters that were written specifically uh, to pastors. Uh, the other two come just before Titus, uh, 1 Timothy and uh, 2 Timothy. A uh, letter not just uh, for pastors, though, not just for elders, uh, but for all of us. And there are so many lessons uh, even for us uh, today. Written uh, 2,000 years ago uh, to this uh, brother Titus, but uh, still so relevant as the Word of God is uh, for us uh, today. A very short letter. It just uh, If you count up the verses in the three chapters, it equals 46, just 46 things, verses, and yet a number of themes are in it. Just go through some of them. We have here the qualification of a pastor or an elder, an elder uh, in the church, how he is to be gentle on the one hand, and yet, on the other hand, he is to be a courageous man. He is to be able to stand up uh, to those who uh, speak and teach wrong things. In verse uh, 11, he is to be able to stop the mouths of those who subvert whole houses and those who are teaching uh, error. So he's got to be somewhat courageous and have a bit of backbone and not just say, not just be a yes man, uh, to everything. Uh, the Judaizers had even infiltrated uh, the church, the, the Cretan church uh, here, uh, and there were other uh, uh, things which the Titus had to address. And it was a very difficult station for him, a very different, difficult calling. Look at the people, how the, Paul describes them in verse 12. The Cretans, Cretans are always uh, liars, evil beasts, uh, slow bellies, indulgent people, always lies. Well, uh, it was going to be a very difficult work for him, a very challenging uh, work uh, for uh, Titus. He had to uh, uh, preach and hold on uh, to the truth. Sound doctrine here is going to be uh, so important. And he's got to be able to use teaching and use sound doctrine to convince uh, these uh, gainsayers. One of the main themes you'll find as you read through it, and I encourage you uh, to read through the, the whole book uh, a few times if you can, and you get a, a very good idea of it, and you get an idea of some of the things that we'll be talking about uh, in the coming weeks. But one of the main things that sticks out as you read it is that godliness must follow uh, doctrine. It's not enough to just have uh, a teaching. It's not enough just to have the right teaching in our minds, we must be able, uh, it must lead uh, to a holy life. It must lead uh, to 
a change in our practice and a godly living. It's not enough. Uh, he's going to say repeatedly uh, that we know the truth in an intellectual manner only. It must result and develop into a, a godly life. Look at it right from the very beginning, the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. And then again in, in verse six, chapter 1, verse 16, it talks about the opposite group of people, those who profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. So they're saying they know him, but in life they're doing something different. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, very uh, familiar words to us. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does that grace of God teach us? Just to live comfortably and just to live as we like after we become believers? No. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And again, verse 14, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And that's the other thing that comes through as well. Not only purity must follow, but also good works. We must, as believers, be known for our good works. There in verse 14, in chapter 3, in verse 8, uh, this is a faithful saying, and uh, these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And again in verse 14, the same chapter near the end, let, our, uh, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uh, uses, that they be not unfruitful, just as we, as we have in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And I'll just read that again, you know, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And people stop there. <laughs> we must go on. Uh, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So this is the kind of practical uh, Christian life that God calls us to, and uh, we'll be looking at some of these things as we go along. Of course, here as well, you can see in chapter 2 are practical exhortations uh, for different age groups for the, the old, older men or the older women. There's a work to do, uh, how they can teach the younger women, uh, the young, young men, young women. Uh, also, there are specific instructions and different environments for the home, how to live godly in the home, uh, how to live godly in the workplace and in society. Chapter 3, verse 1, uh, we see that especially, our relationship uh, relation to uh, government. So these are some of the themes that we will be uh, considering. Uh, who is Titus? Who is Titus? Well, uh, in verse 4, Paul calls him, my son, mine own son, after the common uh, faith. Uh, Titus was actually a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, and he was most likely saved under Paul's ministry which is why he calls him mine own son. It's some, a term that he also used, as you know, of Timothy. 
Timothy was also somewhere very dear to him uh, spiritually because uh, he had uh, brought him to the faith in Christ and also nurtured him and uh, he'd uh, uh, been that like a father, a spiritual uh, father to him. And it's somewhat similar with uh, Titus. Titus was a younger man uh, than Paul. And uh, though we don't read of him actually in the Acts of the Apostles, he is there. He's there in a, indirectly. Uh, in chapter, chapter 15 and verse 2, you don't need to turn to it unless you'd like to, but uh, there you know, Paul and Barnabas, uh, you remember how they had determined to go to uh, Jerusalem uh, to get confirmation from the apostles that the gospel that they were preaching and circumcision were two separate things. Circumcision made no contribution uh, to the gospel. The gospel is by grace and by grace, through, uh, by faith in Christ alone. But the Jews were saying, no, we need to add circumcision. That must be, a, unless you are circumcised, you cannot uh, be saved. So Paul and Barnabas, were, they were at Antioch at the time, and they were going down to Jerusalem uh, to bring this matter before uh, the uh, apostles and to get that confirmation from them, this is the, the gospel that we preach. And you look, you look there, it says certain other men went up with them. And the, the, um, one of those certain other men who went up with Paul and Barnabas was Titus. And we know that because uh, it's mentioned in uh, Galatians. Uh, in Galatians, uh, Paul talks about, uh, about them going up to Jerusalem with Titus and how he wouldn't have him uh, circumcised at that time. So uh, though he's not mentioned in Acts directly, he's there in an indirect manner. But we do find him uh, in the Corinthian letters uh, as well a number of times. His name is, often comes up uh, there. Titus was one who was uh, highly spoken of uh, by uh, Paul. Paul th uh, thought of him as his partner. He called him his fellow helper, his co-laborer uh, in the work, in the ministry. How he valued. Paul had a number of co-workers, and this was one who was very special to him. And he could say of Titus, as he said of Timothy, that he has the same earnest uh, care uh, for the church. Uh, he was one who went back and forth uh, from Paul. Uh, in chapter 3 and verse 12, we see that even right near the very end, he wanted, uh, when this letter came to uh, Titus, when he was at Crete, uh, he wanted, uh, it came via Zenos, a lawyer, and Apollos, but he wanted, in verse 12, uh, Titus to return to him, be diligent to come to me to Nicopolis, which was in uh, western uh, Greece. So he was going back and forward with, from Paul. He was Paul's emissary. Sometimes he would go to Corinth, sent by Paul. Sometimes he, he was, on this occasion, he was left in Crete uh, to do as Paul had asked him to do. Uh, so he was uh, either with Paul or working on, as he could say, on his uh, behalf for, uh, in different churches. So a very faithful man. And that's uh, one who, whom, that's Titus, who Paul is here writing to. The letter itself, well, it's written around uh, AD 63. You cannot be too sure. Some people put it a little bit later, uh, but we'd say around AD 63, and written after Paul's uh, release, uh, sorry, written between Paul's first imprisonment in Rome and his second imprisonment. After his 
released from his first imprisonment, where he made his way back uh, towards uh, Antioch and towards uh, Palestine. And on the way, they'd stopped over at Crete. And there, uh, uh, this is where uh, Titus had left. There's work uh, for, for, the, for him to do. There were churches which had been planted there. Some of the, where did those churches come from? Well, some would have been planted, no doubt, by Paul himself at a certain time. But that it, it, it can also be thought uh, that uh, those from, who were there at Pentecost, because the Cretans were at there on the day of Pentecost, they went back and they may well have started a church in one or two cities. It's not only in one city where the, the, the church was. We read that there, there were churches in many cities. But things were not quite right in these churches. They were, they were meeting together, they were worshipping together, but things were not done uh, in an orderly way in terms of organization. So Paul says to Titus, stay behind and uh, order, uh, put things in order. You see that also in verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I uh, commanded uh, thee. So a number of churches then, a lot of work uh, for uh, Titus uh, to do. Uh, this letter is probably, we can say as well, also written around the same time as 1 Timothy because it's quite uh, similar, uh, the, some of the things that are brought up there. But having said that as an introduction, let's just look at these first four verses uh, briefly. Uh, first, uh, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul who before was Saul. Uh, before was one who sought to destroy the churches, to annihilate the churches, every church that he could. Now he is planting churches. Now he is concerned for the church. Now he is writing to Titus because the primary th concern for his in his mind is the church. And he wants the church, the churches in Crete, uh, to be established, to be sound in the faith to be strong in the Lord, to go on uh, in the Lord, and not to allow error to come into the church. He's protective over the church, and he is protective over the people in the church. He's concerned uh, for the Lord's uh, glory uh, in the church. He wants uh, to make sure that the churches are following the blueprint of the church, that people are not doing just whatever they think they can do, whatever uh, they, they think is the right way to do church. The teaching and the practice must be right. And uh, that's a big change, isn't it, for him? He who was destroying churches is now uh, so concerned about churches, so anxious to see uh, their progress. What a work of grace has been done in him. Same for us, isn't it, friends? Uh, before we came to Christ, <coughs> Well, we didn't really have much thought about the church. We didn't really care about the church and the church of Jesus Christ. If we did think about it, we didn't think about it really very much. But now, after we have believed, after we've become Christians, it's our primary concern. It's what we are, uh, we are concerned now for its purity, we're concerned for its preservation, we're concerned for its progress. We want to see the church uh, advance, we're, we're involved in the church, we want to see the church 
uh, uh, affecting the society, we want to make sure it's pure in its teachings, pure also in its practice. It distresses us when we see uh, the, the practices going away uh, from the scriptures, when we see this contemporary Christian music coming in and the way in which the devil is bringing in false teachings uh, into the church. Oh, and we were not like that before. It's only grace that has brought this change uh, even in our hearts. And we're all often asking, isn't it, what's going on in the church? Because that is uh, a matter of great concern to us, what's happening in the kingdom of Christ. Well, Paul styles himself here as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, now he is uh, truly uh, God's uh, servant. Before, when he was persecuting uh, believers, harassing believers, hounding after them, he also thought he was doing God's work. He thought then he was serving the Lord, but he, was, he did it, as he tells us, ignorantly. But now he is truly a servant uh, of God, doing uh, God's uh, bidding. We're all, all believers uh, should take this title uh, for themselves. I am a servant of God. I'm here to do what God tells me to do. I am his bond slave. I'm here to do uh, his uh, will. This is my role now as a believer. Paul, Paul is God's, but we could also say Paul, uh, while we could use this term in a general way, we could also say uh, specifically here, it refers to that higher calling that Paul had. Uh, Paul is a servant in a, a higher sense, that he has received this uh, commission, he has received this ministry uh, from the Lord to be a preacher, a herald of the gospel, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary. This is Paul's business. This is his high calling. This is uh, his work now that God has given him uh, to do. He is, uh, as the servant of the Lord, going about spreading uh, the gospel, planting churches, and uh, seeking to win souls uh, to the Lord and to edify uh, the saints. So in the highest sense, we could say he is a servant uh, of God, uh, also an apostle of Jesus Christ, one uh, sent, one personally uh, commissioned uh, by the Lord, according uh, to the faith of God's elect. Or <coughs> we could say, maybe better translated, uh, for uh, the faith of God's elect. Paul is in this position. Paul has been called to this ministry for believers, for the benefit of uh, believers. Paul's uh, task now is to uh, minister, to preach, to teach, so that believers are helped. The, the God's elect uh, refers to uh, those, who are, those who are his. He is to be a helper of their faith. The ministry is given uh, in the interest of believers. It's not given to puff up Paul. It's not given to make uh, put his name in neon lights and to make everyone, uh, as it were, say how wonderful he is. It's given uh, for the church. Christ gives his, uh, his gifts for the church. This office of the ministry is given for the blessing and the benefit of the church. Those who occupy a position of pastor it's not for to put our, lift up our names. It's to be a blessing uh, to the church so that they can bring the word and minister uh, to uh, the believers. 
Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we looked at in our studies in Ephesians, verse 11 and 12. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to be a help to the saints, to complete them in their faith to equip them so that they can go about doing their work for the Lord, to serve, they can serve the Lord, so that it won't be taken in by the, the wrong teaching that they're exposed to and hear when they're out in the world, so that they know how to, to live in the home and how to live in society and in the workplace. This is the purpose of the ministry and the purpose why God calls people to the ministry for the benefit of the church and its edification and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness as we said this is to know the truth is one thing but it shouldn't uh, remain there it shouldn't just be an intellectual ascent to the truth now it's important to know the truth we must uh, we must be familiar with these things there is so much so much error around and uh, many people are being led down the wrong path because they're not familiar with the truth. And we must be brought to know the truth. But it mustn't stay there, friends. It mustn't just be something that we're only after knowledge without it affecting our lives. We're happy for it to remain, as it were, in our minds. And we have this grasp on this doctrine and that doctrine. But it must affect my life. It must change my life. It must affect how I am living. That's the purpose why God uh, gives us. Even, for example, the very simple thing of the, go the, the gospel. I may know the gospel. I may know Christ uh, has come into the world. I may know he died on the cross. Well, that's the truth. I may know he died for sins. But if it doesn't affect me and it doesn't change me and I don't believe it and take it to myself, then it's, I've lost the impact of it. I've lost the benefit uh, of it. So also uh, here, uh, even after we have believed, as Christians, we're learning the truth in order that our lives may be purified and cleansed and uh, uh, set right uh, as in, a, in a sanctified way as we're going on. It must lead uh, to a practical godliness, a holy uh, life. It must make a difference uh, to how I am living the truth must have an influence uh, over me. That's the whole purpose uh, of the ministry. Now, you know that there are some people who uh, we refer to them as antinomian. And uh, these, uh, these friends, well, they say, uh, we don't need God's law to live our life by. We can live as we like, basically. And we can, uh, we're, under, we're, we're not under the law, we're under grace. God forgives us, and we, we, just, we just love. That's all there is. Well, uh, the Bible says we're not saved by keeping the law, but the law of God, the moral commandments, the Ten Commandments given to us, for example, that is our pattern, that's our guide after we have believed. After we believe, we, we look at that and we say, well, this is my guide to living a Christian life. This is a help to me to live in a holy way. But we don't depend on our works and our obedience to it to save us. It's always uh, by Christ. But they say, no, no, these antinomians say, no, you can do away with that. You don't need the law of God. You can live 
just under grace. Well, that would be a wrong teaching. But uh, the truth uh, leads us to live in a godly way. In verse 2, uh, <coughs> in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. For the hope of eternal life, to create hope uh, in the heart. Hope, as you know, this confident assurance, uh, not just uh, a, a whim or a, a wish, but a confident certainty of eternal life uh, of heaven. This is what, again, the purpose of the ministry, to create in our hearts, to, to bring us to that point of uh, a certainty of our uh, salvation, which God has promised. This is God's, uh, this is God's purpose to bring an elect number, millions of people from sin uh, uh, to Christ, from impurity uh, to holy lives, from earth to heaven. This is God's intention, to bring people to heaven. And uh, this is what uh, God has promised to give uh, eternal uh, life. When, did, when was this promise made? Well, we're told here, before the world began. Before the world began in eternity uh, past. God made a covenant uh, with uh, his son, that covenant of redemption. And uh, God entered into an agreement with the son of God and said, if you will go uh, into the world and you will uh, take uh, hum humanity to yourself and you will suffer and die on the cross, I will give to you uh, this elect number of people millions of people, and I will give to them, I promise to give to them eternal life if you will do these things on their behalf. And the Son of God agreed uh, to, that, uh, to that covenant. Of course, we're speaking in uh, human terms. And uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this is exactly what's happened. Christ has come uh, into the world, given his life for sinners, and uh, uh, given his life for specifically for his elect people, all those millions of souls, and he was successful, he rose from the dead, and God, as a result of his work, uh, gives uh, eternal life to each one for whom uh, he died. As he prayed uh, uh, to the Father before he went to the cross, Father, I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Eternal life, friends, uh, this is what God uh, promises, has promised to us. This is what, uh, where we're going. This is what we are assured of. As this world, as we've said so many times, we're just uh, passing through, just for a short time, and then into eternal and everlasting uh, happiness. Well, the word of promise uh, of eternal life is revealed, we're told, in verse 3, through preaching. Through preaching, uh, God hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of our God and our Savior. In the Old Testament times, this plan of redemption, yes, it was there, but it was foreshadowed. It wasn't as fully manifested as in the New Testament times. When the New Testament times, after the coming of Christ, then we could say uh, it was more fully manifest, manifested. It was known, of course, 
uh, right from the very beginning of time, right from the Garden of Eden, as we've seen. But it was uh, not so clear what God was going to do. But it was fully manifested uh, in the New, New Testament times. It was made plain. God used a preaching to make it uh, plain uh, to the people then and to us uh, today. Preach. This is, friends, uh, true preaching. <coughs> true preaching is not just standing up and saying something, but true, true preaching is exactly this. In uh, His Word, man, God manifesting His Word through preaching, uh, to make, making known the gospel, making known God's thoughts, making known the way to heaven, making manifest uh, the teachings of the Lord, the doctrines of Christ. Uh, this is the purpose of preaching. So much of what passes for preaching today really cannot be identified and called uh, preaching. The word is absent. Or maybe it starts off uh, with a verse, and then people, the preacher goes off into a, a different direction. And he's, not, he's talking maybe about you know, fixing some problem in your life. Or he talks about uh, how to get rich or some other uh, feel-good factor or some other thing which, which makes people, tickles people's ears. But he's gone away from the word. Or he's just giving a, a talk or a discourse without explaining the word and expounding the word and preaching the word and saying, this is what the word says. And this is how it applies uh, to your life. And uh, people go away uh, from that. But the, a true preacher must stick with the word, just as uh, Paul is doing here. God used Paul and God used his preaching to make manifest the thoughts, the plans, intentions of God. And then I close just with verse uh, 4 uh, to Titus, mine own son uh, in after the common uh, faith. The common uh, faith. Common, not in the sense of something that is ordinary, uh, but, uh, or something which everybody has, something which is common to everyone, but something which is common only to uh, believers. Uh, shared faith. Paul and Titus shared the same faith. But every believer who trusts in Christ, every believe, every person who has repented and trusted in, in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him only for salvation. Well, they share also in uh, the same faith. Uh, it's, this is the thing that unites us. It's our faith. You know, we've said it so many times before with the ecumenical movement, well, they, they sort of put, put this doctrine out. Uh, they throw out the doctrine and say, let's concentrate on just trying to be united. But really, our unity here is our faith. Our subjectively, you could say, and objectively. It's that, that's what uh, unites us. A sure confidence that we have uh, in Jesus Christ. Our dependence on him uh, for salvation and for acceptance with God. Every person who has that kind of a faith, well, they're, we, they're united uh, together in a common, uh, uh, common bond. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Grace, uh, the free favor of God, the unmerited favor. Mercy, the blessings of God, blessings of every kind, pardon, deliverances, help, guidance, and uh, peace. Peace with God uh, through Christ and peace with ourselves, peace with our conscience, uh, be because we know 
our sins are forgiven. The origin of all these blessings are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Well, friends, this is uh, just our, our start, our initial message. God willing, we will go on to the next few verses uh, next week.